Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 4th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarn, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB ruled that workers' compensation photocopiers are not required to be registered and bonded. Here's what happened in the en banc decision of Cornejo versus Yonique Cafe and the Zenith Insurance Company. California law provides that photocopy services are required to be registered and bonded. This is a requirement added a few years ago in the Business and Professions Code sections 22450 and 22455. This WCAB en banc case considered a photocopy lien claimant's contention that it was exempt from being registered and bonded under this law. Rogelio Cornejo, through his attorney, filed two applications for adjudication of claim. Both were settled by a compromise and release agreement, and the defendant agreed to pay, adjust, or litigate any and all liens while reserving any and all defenses, with the WCAB retaining jurisdiction in the event of a dispute. Western Imaging Services filed a $1,500 lien claim for copy services in one of these cases. At the time, the company was not registered and bonded, but was by the time the case was decided. The work comp judge disallowed the lien claim, finding that the failure to register and be bonded was a defense to the lien. But on reconsideration, the WCAB reversed in the en banc decision. The clear language of Section 22451 exempts a member of the state bar or his or her employees agents, or independent contractors from the registration requirements. Thus, the WCAB held that the registration and bonding requirements do not apply to a lien claimant when it is an agent or independent contractor of a member of the state bar at the time the documents are photocopied. The state fund also lost an independent contractor premium claim against its insured employer. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of the state fund versus Urgent Nurses Resources Incorporated. Urgent Nurses Resources is a nursing registry. It provides hospitals with temporary nurses at the hospital's request. After it receives a request for a temporary nurse, it offers certain nurses in its registry the requested assignment who have been pre-approved by the hospital. The nurses are free to reject the assignment without explanation or penalty. Urgent reviews with the nurse a checklist provided by the hospital of the assignment's duties. If the nurse can perform the duties, the nurse reports to the hospital. The nurse provides his or her own uniform, shoes, stethoscope, watch, and occasionally other small supplies for the assignment, but does not provide any other equipment. The nurse completes the assignment, usually a shift, under the supervision of the hospital. Once the nurse completes the assignment, the hospital pays urgent for the nurse's and urgent's services. Urgent later distributes the nurse's portion of the payment to the nurse. Urgent allows nurses in its registry to choose whether to be designated as an employee or independent contractor. To be classified as an independent contractor, Urgent requires in part that 
the nurses sign an independent contractor agreement and provide their own liability insurance. These nurses receive Internal Revenue Service Forms 1099, but Urgent was audited by the state fund, who determined that Urgent owed it premiums for the 1099 nurses. Urgent disagreed and refused to pay, so the state fund sued Urgent for the premiums. The trial court held that the 1099 nurses were independent contractors and consequently Urgent did not owe the state fund for the 1099 nurses premiums. So the state fund appealed. The trial court was affirmed by the Court of Appeals in the unpublished case. Urgent presented substantial evidence that the 1099 nurses were independent contractors under the factors in the Presidential Bordello case. And other courts have similarly decided that nursing registries are agents for independent contractor nurses. And now our crime report. A San Diego grand jury has indicted the owners of Good Neighbor Janitorial Services as well as six accomplices for a massive insurance fraud and tax evasion scheme. Two defendants, Hayok Stephen and Wu Stephanie Kwan, own a janitorial company that provides cleaning staff to major hotels across San Diego, Los Angeles, and Riverside counties. Customers include the Hotel del Coronado, Lowe's Coronado, La Costa Resort and Spa, the Grand Del Mar Marin La Jolla, the Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Hilton, and Hyatt hotel chains. The Quans have been indicted on a total of 11 counts of workers' comp premium fraud and 18 counts of payroll tax evasion and one count of extortion. The investigation uncovered a methodological and systematic shell game involving six straw owners. These straw owners were used to conceal the existence of hundreds of hotel workers to avoid paying millions of dollars in insurance premiums and payroll taxes. If convicted of all charges, they each face up to 31 years in prison. Six co-defendants have also been charged with workers' compensation premium fraud and tax evasion and face sentences between six and eight years in prison. For nearly a decade, the company allegedly concealed their real payroll information in order to fraudulently obtain workers' comp insurance from multiple companies, including Travelers, Norgard, AIG, Southern Insurance, Everest National, Preferred Employers, State Compensation Insurance Fund, and Employers' Compensation Insurance. The company fraudulently avoided paying more than $3.6 million in insurance premiums and evaded paying over $3.3 million in payroll taxes. Employees who were interviewed said they were paid with checks bearing the name of businesses other than Good Neighbor Services throughout the course of their employment. The employees also said they did not receive overtime pay or workers' compensation benefits when they were injured on the job, and they were in fear of retaliation if they reported their injuries. A $23.2 million settlement has been reached by the California Department of Insurance and Whistleblowers 
with pharmaceutical company Warner Chilcott to resolve a lawsuit alleging drug marketing fraud. Activists announced the acquisition of Warner Chilcott in 2013, creating an $11 billion leading specialty pharmaceutical company with over $3 billion in pro forma sales. Former employees claimed the company used illegal inducements to influence physician decisions, including paying kickbacks. They also claim management funneled kickbacks and inducements to physicians under the guise of physician education. Often, these events had little or no educational content at high-end hotels and spas, all in an effort to encourage physicians to increase the number of prescriptions written for Warner Chilcott medications. Of the $23.2 million in the state settlement, California will receive $11.8 million. In addition, a separate lawsuit was filed in federal court in Massachusetts, alleging Warner Chilcott violated the Federal False Claims Act. The U.S. Department of Justice announced a settlement at the same time of the federal allegations and the company pleaded guilty to health care fraud, and agreed to pay $125 million to resolve both federal criminal and civil liability. 51-year-old Mia Chang, a former insurance broker and owner of Lot Insurance Services, collected full payment for an annual workers' compensation insurance policy and pocketed a majority of the victim's premium. The insurance company was located at Wilshire Center in Los Angeles. She forwarded only a small amount of the premium to the insurer and left the business owner without coverage and at considerable financial risk. After receiving a letter from a collection agency for non-payment of premium, the victim contacted Chang, who assured him there had been an error and issued him a bogus insurance certificate. But... The victim remained suspicious and after contacting the insurance company directly, discovered he had been uninsured for several months. Chang ignored his request to refund the money and shortly thereafter closed her business and disappeared. By the time this victim requested help, the department had already revoked Chang's license and she was convicted of grand theft for stealing premiums from five other businesses and one individual. Thus, the department launched a new investigation and a new warrant was issued for her arrest. She evaded arrest for over three years until investigators located and arrested her. Chang pleaded no contest and was sentenced to three years formal probation and 200 hours of community service. Just moments after being sentenced, she returned over $19,000 in stolen premiums with interest to the owner of the sizable construction company. 60-year-old Daniel Jacob Saipin and his son Gabriel Daniel Saipin, both of La Habra Heights, pleaded guilty to 28 felony counts of wage theft, 32 felony counts for false and forged instruments, with a sentencing enhancement for property loss over $200,000. At the time, Daniel owned Saipin Horticulture, a landscaping, irrigation, and maintenance company, which he ran with his son Gabriel. 
the two violated the law on a public works job which requires a minimum prevailing wage be paid to workers. In 2010, both Daniel and Gabriel Sipin met with employees and offered to contract with a third-party administrator to hold the employees' fringe benefits in a savings account. But they failed to deposit over $300,000 in employee fringe benefits into that account. Instead, they embezzled the money meant for employee fringe benefits. Daniel Sipin's California State Contractor's License was revoked by the court and the two are expected to be sentenced to 90 days in jail, three years formal probation, pay over $227,000 in restitution, and are prohibited from working on any other public works contracts. They will be sentenced on April 11. And in regulatory news, Governor Brown has appointed Deborah Lee and Eric Berg as the newest Cal OSHA deputy chiefs. The appointments build on Lee and Berg's combined 39 years of experience working with Cal OSHA. The DIR director, Christine Baker, said that the governor appointed two of the most experienced and informed Cal OSHA employees to help guide the division into the future. Deborah Lee becomes the deputy chief of safety with Cal OSHA's enforcement branch and will oversee investigations and inspections of California's work sites. Her duties will include managing Cal OSHA's regular enforcement offices statewide, as well as the specialized mining and tunneling, high hazard and labor enforcement task force units. Eric Berg will serve as Deputy Chief of Health and will manage Cal OSHA's research and standards activities, including the development of health and safety regulations. He will also oversee Cal OSHA's medical and toxicology, asbestos and carcinogen, and crane units. The new appointees will serve under the general direction of Cal OSHA Chief Julianne Soom. Chief Soom said she has worked closely with both Deborah Lee and Eric Berg and has complete confidence in their ability to carry out their critical responsibilities in enforcement, research, and standards. Deborah Lee originally joined Cal OSHA as an industrial hygienist with the High Hazard Unit in 1994. She was promoted several times, most recently to Acting Deputy Chief of Field Enforcement. Eric Berg also started his career with Cal OSHA as an industrial hygienist in 1997. He has served as a safety engineer in multiple units and was promoted to acting deputy chief of research and standards in April 2015. Cal OSHA has cited Dignity Health, the operator of Northridge Hospital Medical Center, for safety and health violations that exposed the hospital's 1,700 employees to biohazards. The citations include failure to record information in 18 cases where hospital workers were stuck with needles and failure to provide closable containers in emergency rooms that would keep biohazard waste from spilling. Investigators found a total of 13 health code violations. There were four serious violations of the Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, which requires employers to protect workers from coming into contact with blood or other disease-carrying body fluids. 
A serious violation is cited when there is a realistic possibility that death or serious harm could result from the actual hazardous condition. Fines for all violations total over $44,000. A pork trucking firm in Carson has been ordered to turn over nearly $7 million in back pay to 38 drivers. This is the latest in a series of recent wins for pork drivers and the Teamsters Union that has been trying to organize them. The Labor Commissioner's Office ruled that the drivers at Pacific 9 Transportation were improperly treated as independent contractors rather than as employees. It ordered the company to compensate drivers for illegal paycheck deductions, back wages, and legal costs, payouts that amount to hundreds of thousands of dollars for some. The decision affects just a fraction of the nearly 12,000 drivers who haul cargo at the local ports. But the order shows that labor organizers are having some success in using employee classification claims to push trucking firms to treat drivers as employees. Disputes between trucking companies and port truck drivers have become common in recent years, but typically state labor regulators handle classification complaints individually or in small groups. But the recent case involving Pacific 9, as well as two others involving trucking firms, was Hort and Moss with the Labor Commissioner's Office ruling in favor of dozens of drivers at once. These larger actions could spark an acceleration in the number of claims against trucking firms at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, most of which say their workers are independent contractors. Labor Commissioner Julie Sue said 720 truck drivers have filed complaints with her office since 2012, and the office has ruled in three cases affecting more than 100 drivers since July. And she added that, in this industry, the department has routinely found misclassification in the cases it has heard. It is likely that these misclassification situations have an adverse effect on workers' compensation premiums for the trucking industry. The DWC announced a decrease in the mileage rate for medical and medical legal travel expenses by three and one-half cents, down from 57.5 cents to 54 cents per mile, effective January 1. This rate must be paid for travel on or after that date, regardless of the date of injury. Labor Code Section 4600, in conjunction with Government Code Section 19820 and the Department of Personal Administration Regulations, establishes the rate payable for mileage reimbursement for medical and medical legal expenses and ties it to the Internal Revenue Service that announced the rate decrease. The IRS standard mileage rate for business is based on an annual study of the fixed and variable costs of operating an automobile. The updated mileage reimbursement form is posted on the DWC website. The DWC has also posted an adjustment to the pathology and clinical laboratory section of the OMFS 
to confirm to the 2016 changes in the Medicare payment system. The update includes significant changes to the codes and rules related to drug testing. The order adopts the Medicare 2016 Clinical Laboratory Fee Schedule and the Calendar Year 2016 Clinical Laboratory Fee Schedule Final Determinations document. Some analysts believe the rate changes for lab testing could shave as much as 91% off the price of some tests. Current coding for testing for drugs of abuse relies on a structure of screening, followed by confirmation to confirm the results of the screening tests, and then quantitative or definitive testing that identifies the specific drug and quantity in the patient. This resulted in the potential for overpayment when billing for each individual drug test rather than a single code that pays the same amount regardless of the number of drugs that are being tested. Thus, in 2014, CMS created alphanumeric G-codes to replace the 2014 CPT codes that were deleted for 2015. Then in July 2015, CMS proposed to delete all current drug testing G-codes and instead create a single G-code for presumptive testing and a single G-code for definitive testing. But after public comment, the final rule creates three G-codes for presumptive testing and for definitive drug testing, it will create four-tiered G-codes. The revised fee schedule will continue to not recognize the AMA CPT codes 80300 through 80377. And in medical news, more than 52 million adults in the U.S. have been diagnosed with some form of arthritis, and this number is expected to grow, emphasizing the need for new treatments. Arthritis is the most common cause for disability, affecting around one in five adults. There is no cure for the condition, but there are medications and non-pharmacologic treatments available to help manage symptoms. Now, a new study may have paved the way for a new cure, revealing how patients with arthritis could be treated using their own microvesicles. Microvesicles are tiny, fluid-filled particles that are released by cells in large numbers. Microvesicles released from some white blood cells tend to accrue in the joints of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. But what do these microvesicles do once they reach the joints? This question is what the team decided to investigate. It is widely believed that cells and other small particles are unable to penetrate cartilage, making delivering therapies to the joints of patients with arthritis very challenging. But the researchers found that microvesicles released from neutrophils have the ability to enter cartilage, a discovery that could open the door to novel treatment strategies for arthritis. But further studies are needed to determine the potential for a new therapeutic approach for arthritis. But the study indicates that these vesicles could be a novel form of therapeutic strategy for patients suffering from cartilage damage 
due to a range of diseases, including osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and trauma. Treating patients with their own vesicles may only require a day in the hospital, and the vesicles could even be fortified with other therapeutic agents. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.